All right, tonight we're going to um, take a few minutes to do a little theology in our study in Revelation. Well, we've been doing theology all the way along, eschatology. In our study of Revelation, we really want to uh, back up a, a half step um, before we leap forward in Revelation. And I think it's kind of a necessary step to take given uh, our current environment. We'll put it like that. Um, with the manner in which people have approached the end times and the issue of salvation. And that's really what I want to discuss tonight is uh, can we anticipate people getting saved uh, once the rapture occurs? And that might seem like a strange way to start off when we haven't actually gotten to the rapture in Revelation our study but before we get to it, I think it's imperative that we study that out a little bit and begin to recognize what is necessary in terms of how God does things in certain orders um, because of the promises that he's made, because of the principles that he operates by, that the limitations that he has put upon himself with regard to salvation of mankind. And we're going to uh, approach this through the 144,000. Um, I made a statement several times last week that it was necessary that they be identified before the church is gone. And I didn't really take a lot of time to explain that and to um, help us really understand why that was absolutely necessary uh, given the very strange nature. They are a unique, redeemed people. They are distinct from the Old Testament saints. They are distinct from the church saints. And so they are the, uh, I believe, the last of the redeemed people, um, depending upon your view of Israel coming into the Millennial Kingdom and if all of them are converted. But I think that shines us back into the Old Testament period and not into um, a non-Israelite period uh, specifically. Um, and so we're going to look at this a little bit but why uh, did I make such a statement of the necessity of this before the church is gone? Uh, given that we have lots of people out there right now that are teaching that um, not just a few thousand are going to get saved after the rapture, but an innumerable number will get saved after the rapture. That great hosts of people will come to Christ in droves uh, and I, I mean that honestly because uh, con they, they feel that all these martyrs that we're going to be studying uh, and that we've already looked at in the seal judgments, remember we looked at the fifth seal, which was the martyrdom of the saints, they would hold that all of those are saints that came to Christ after the rapture. Well, that's a great host. Um, and that all the people we're going to be studying next week that are arriving in heaven... Yeah, when we get to Revelation chapter 7, all of those people came to Christ during the first half of the seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath and were killed and arrived in heaven. And so, and by the way, this is not the doctrine I grew up with. This is not what I heard from prophecy teachers when I was a young man. This is something really we've seen uh, in the modern era, and uh, by that I mean your 
most of you, <laughs> most of your, before your lifespan started for most of you, but uh, it, 30 years ago, we'll say, uh, we really saw this beginning to be invested. Uh, and and I, I believe the one guy that is responsible for it is Tim LaHaye. Uh, I'm, I'm going to pin the tail on the donkey right there. Um, that it was him that is largely responsible in his writing and uh, Jenkins as well uh, in the Left Behind series. Uh, and this whole idea there, that there's this enormous group that has to come to Christ. Um, and therefore, that you have a responsibility post-rapture somehow to prepare the way for them to come to know Christ. Um, seminally, it's been there for a long time because they had to deal with these passages of the, of the martyrs of the fifth seal, of the great host that arrives in heaven in, in Revelation 7. They had to deal with that somehow. Um, and in addition to the 144,000, this isn't, this isn't the 144,000 arriving, this is, this is an intervals from all nations, whereas 144,000 is a very specific group from only one nation. And so... Um, it's been in the works there and people because of their commitment to a certain chronology that is now well over 100 years old. Um, and that's a concern. Whenever you get a chronology and an order of events and a doctrine in eschatology, it's over 100 years old. That's a problem. You say, what? That's a problem? I thought theology should be rooted historically. Every area except eschatology, I believe that's true. But in eschatology, we have a statement by God uh, in the book of Daniel, at the end of the book, where he says, uh, close the books until the end. And the statement there, let, let's just run there real quick. Daniel, chapter 12. Ezekiel, Daniel, somewhere in there. I think it's best if I read that. I've mentioned it several times, and I've never actually read it for you or with you. Um, in, in Daniel, chapter 12, the... Uh, Really, the conclusion of his book, if we jump in at uh, verse 8, it says, Although I heard, I did not understand. So what Daniel has done is he's recorded for us um, what he has taught, what he has heard, what he was instructed in. So he was taught these things. He, he knows what the words mean, but he didn't understand what it all, how it was all going to come out. And so he says to God in verse 8, My Lord, what shall be the end of these things? Um, what, what's the end of all this? Uh, and he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed. But not forever. They're sealed for a period of time. It says, Till the end. Till the time of the end. Uh, so the, the, the words of Daniel and of this prophetic information is closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many will be purified, made white and refined. The wicked shall do wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there shall be one... And he goes into uh, this more chronology we're going to deal with a little bit later when we get into the uh, years of God's outpouring of His wrath. And, and again, at verse 13, But you go your way, uh, go till the end, for you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance at the end of the days. And so this statement that the words are closed up, and this isn't the only place. In Habakkuk, we also have uh, some information saying, well, this isn't going to happen in your lifetime. This is for the end. Um, and so you might not get it, but someone needs to get it at the end. And this isn't the end of Israel, but the end of the ages. 
And so we are, we are given this, this necessity to continue to examine uh, our doctrine of eschatology. And I will contend that we're looking for a generation that starts to uh, get it right. And not everyone will. Uh, it's very obvious in that, that not everyone will get it. But uh, we, we should see throughout a progression of time, uh, a, we're getting closer and closer and closer to it. And so when we get a, an eschatology that's essentially 100 years old, uh, we know we have to rework it. That the guys that generated that are all gone. That they have passed and it hadn't come out the way that they thought. And so they, it, they couldn't have been the ones to open it because they didn't survive to the end. And so, till the end, till the time of the end, if we were in the time of the end, we should be able to start unlocking some of these things and they should become very obvious to us. And, and, and there are some things that are just obvious to us today because of one area, and that's technology. I mean, when, when the Bible says that the entire world is going to witness uh, two guys dead in the streets in Jerusalem and have a celebration for days globally all over the world, that didn't make sense for a long, 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 long time. Now, it's like, we've already done that a few times, haven't we? Not with those two guys in Jerusalem, but we kind of had a global party when a guy got knocked out in uh, the Middle East somewhere, didn't we? Um, and so, the idea of that is just like, well, that's not a big deal. Yeah. I could see them committing a a channel to watching the, the two guys laying there dead in the streets of Jerusalem while we all celebrated. Um, that seems feasible. And given the attitude and spirit of our age, it even doesn't even seem very out of the way <laughs> to even imagine everybody having a party over dead guys. That, that the spirit is even here. And so that kind of thing is going to unlock, but also I, I believe that the entire sense of the books is going to be opened up broader and broader um, as we get to the time of the end, that that's when it's going to be understood. Um, not at the very end, because at that point it's all over with. Um, rather, it's the time of the end. When we get to that time where these people have to live through some of this, uh, all of this, that they're going to need to really, then they will be the ones that will say, Oh, I get it. It clicks. So, um, our teaching that uh, the fifth seal are martyrs of the seven years of God's wrath and the multitude coming into heaven in, in Revelation 7 are tribulation, quote-unquote, saints. That is, people who came to know Christ and died and went to heaven within the first three and a half years um, from every nation, untold numbers. And by the way, he can give you some pretty large numbers later on in Revelation, right? He's going to count into the millions later on. So we're talking about untold number that no one could count um, arriving in heaven. Uh, that seems uh, difficult at this point. Uh, and it doesn't follow doctrine. That's what I want to tie it back into. And so we have people committed to that chronology and making that work now has damaged, and I'm going to use that word, I think it has done material damage to our doctrine of salvation, to our doctrine of the Holy Spirit, um, to the doctrine uh, of the church. I think it's done material damage to those things. 
that we, our understanding of those doctrines is clouded um, by that, by our eschatology, and it certainly doesn't fit it. And so, uh, we can't just come to Revelation and ignore everything we've learned everywhere else. We have to bring those truths, those principles in. God isn't going to change them unless he describes that very deliberately, which he has done with 144,000. He has described a very deliberate action of his that is different than anything we've really seen before. Where God says, I'm going to put my name on their forehead to preserve them uh, uniquely during a period of time where really no one do we find getting saved. We find no one um, coming to Christ. We have, we, but, but yet God wants a witness, a testimony there. And uh, how they come to know Christ, we really don't know. We don't know if they are even aware of their being identified as 144,000 at that point in Revelation 6. Certainly by the time we get to their description and work and martyrdom, they are well aware who they are. Um, but how they come to a knowledge of that, uh, we're really not told. As I said, they are unique, redeemed people. Uh, certainly uh, calling us back to both Testament periods and the people involved there. So, why do they have to be identified before the church is gone? Because this is the age of redemption. This is the age of grace. We use that term a lot. That this is the age of salvation. Today is the day of salvation, the Bible says. Um, whereas the former position makes not today the day of salvation, but tomorrow's the day of salvation. You can wait till the rapture happens, see if it turns out the way they said, and then you'll have some time to accept Christ as your Savior. And so there really isn't any reason to uh, have to come to Christ now. You can wait it out and. And the only fearful thing is if you die before that happens, unexpectedly in a car accident or something like that. Um, but uh, this age is not the end of salvation. So when the church is gone, salvation is still available. And there's a serious danger there. What you've just invited everyone to do is to sit back and watch and wait. And we see that attitude, I find it extensively including within the prophetic community. And that's really nothing that God's Word teaches. It teaches a certainly a level of imminence of, of at any moment, at the end of the church age, the, the opportunity for salvation is gone. Today is the day of salvation. And particularly with regard to the Holy Spirit. And of course, we are recognized very quickly His role in our salvation. The Bible says... What, that he, what's his initial role in our salvation? To convict. He initiates it by his conviction of us, of our sin, um, and we need to respond to that conviction. We can just walk away from it, we can ignore it, we can, we can feel unsettled for a while and go uh, try to make it disappear, but it, his work begins with conviction. It's his job to convict the world of sin and of God's righteousness and of a judgment to come. That those three things God will con share with every man, every human, every man, woman, child uh, of age, that there is sin, they are sinners, that God is righteous, and that there is, for sure, a judgment to come. You can ignore that, you can be uncomfortable with it, you can, you can squirm over it, but if you don't respond by faith, trusting Christ as your deliverance, 
from that judgment to come, to cover your sin, to make you righteous, um, you're lost. And so that's his beginning work. Of course, we also understand his role within us as the seal. The Bible calls him as our seal. That he seals us to the day of Jesus Christ. And so he is the one that really is the agent that fulfills uh, Philippians that says that he who began a good work in you will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. That's Holy Spirit. He's our seal. He's our guarantee of our inheritance, the Bible says. And so we have that ongoing role. Of course, we also have his, his gifts. We have the, the fruit of the Spirit. We have those described in terms of ministry. But in terms of specifically your salvation, these two, the initiation of it and the, the continuation of it to the end, to complete it, to bring it to completion. Those are the two that I want to really focus on. Now, the question is, uh, to what extent does the Holy Spirit's presence uh, in the period of the seven years of the outpouring of God's wrath? Because the church is the resident place of the Holy Spirit, we speak about that once the church is gone, who goes with us, resident-wise, among men? Well, the Holy Spirit is residing in the church. He is, he is the one that fills us, that, that is, is at work in us, that we are that resident place. It wasn't the Holy Spirit is not... Uh, any more or less omnipresent than any other person of the Godhead. Um, but we recognize that in the Old Testament there was a filling of the Spirit, sometimes for extended periods of time. Um, we have a promise of God to the church in Acts 1.8 that uh, we will receive power and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we will be witnesses to the world. And if that is the promise of God to the church, that's the evidence that we've been going through the book of Acts of uh, the church being established among the Jewish community and then the church being established among the Gentile community. That both had to have that presence of the Holy Spirit evidenced. So when the rapture happens, what happens to the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Because His promise was to the church that we would receive the Holy Spirit. And this brings us to uh, a passage in Thessalonians. And I want to invite you to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, um, which is a, a really important passage in, your, in studying eschatology uh, for multiple reasons. And it, uh, in a very brief, brief section of Scripture, we have a lot of information. Um, let's go and read. Uh, the 12 verses that I want to... I'm not going to go through all 12 verses. I'm really just going to uh, focus in on a couple. But let's read the passage here. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you... So the gathering together to Him is what we're studying, right? Getting ready to get to the rapture. So that's why this is, has to do with it. So there's two things. The coming of our Lord Jesus our gathering together to Him. That's referring to the church. Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Don't let anyone tell you you missed it. Let no one deceive you by any means. For the day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. So we have two signs right there. 
that if you don't see these two things, the falling away and the man of sin revealed. So the falling away has to come, then the man of sin is revealed, and now we're starting to um, think about the end. So we have to have those two things before, if those two things haven't happened, don't worry about missing the rapture because it hasn't occurred. Uh, he goes on to describe the man of sin, the son of perdition, who poses and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? So this is a new material. They knew it. They've been instructed in it. And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, and the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow, that's a scary, scary, scary passage. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you have not trusted Christ, you say, that's a frightening thing. That if I wait too long and this moment comes that even though today I might recognize the truth, tomorrow God is going to send a delusion on me that I can't recognize the truth. I will only believe lies. Wow. How do people get saved by the billions in that environment, I ask? They don't. God says that when that period come, of his wrath comes, that there's going to be a delusion. Um, they're going to believe the lie. There's going to be a great lie out there. Uh, so you have a man of sin telling lies. Um, you have people who, even though they have seen the face, they have seen the sign of the Son of Man in heaven themselves. They saw him in the clouds. Remember that? Two weeks ago, they see him. No secret rapture. They see him. And you think, well, how more obvious can it be? Of course they're going to come to Christ now. Wrong. Because a lie is going to be said. That wasn't really Jesus. I don't know what the lie is going to be, but people are going to believe it. And the indication is it's going to be such a ridiculous lie that God has to make people believe it. He's going to send a delusion. He's going to cloud their thinking. It's going to be a totally irrational lie to explain what they saw and experienced to convince them they had nothing to do with Jesus Christ and God. This is what the condition is going to be like after God comes and what does it say? Gathers together his elect. Gather together to him. Once we are gathered together to God, what's it going to be like? Well, you're not going to come to Christ. You're going to be leaving stupid lies that are just way out there. It's like, this isn't even close to the truth. I saw this happen. My friend disappeared. There are people missing off the planet. I saw this. We had all of this global cataclysm. Uh, but you're going to believe it. You're not going to have a choice. As irrational as the lie, it's singular here. There's just one lie. They're only come up with one explanation. And that's all they're going to need. And God's going to send a delusion that you should believe the lie. Why? 
Because you are a condemned person at that point. <laughs> You're condemned. Because you missed the day of salvation. Well, what does this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Well, we back up and this verse, we have two verses here that talk about the Holy Spirit. Even though it's not listed as such, his name isn't used, but we come to a conclusion of this um, because of a pattern of speech that is uh, missed in English. Uh, and our English versions are trying to communicate it, but it's difficult to pick it up on it um, without the Greek. So we're going to do a little Greek work tonight. Okay? So, we have a statement in verse 6 that says, But now you know, or you know what is now restraining. I think the now really goes with the restraining, not with the now you know. Uh, it's, you know what is now restraining. There's, there's someone that you know who is right now restraining, holding back. He's holding back the world. He's keeping them from being as wicked as they could be. He's keeping back everything. He's holding it back. And uh, in some of your versions, if you go with some of the other ones, they'll, they'll not talk about a who or he. They'll say about it. And there's a reason they do that. Because spirit is a neuter noun in Greek. All right? So that means it's neither male nor female. So um, we, use, uh, it, we should use the neuter all the way through here. But the Greek doesn't. They take a neuter noun... And they, and they speak of it with masculine pronouns. The thing is neuter. When it says, you know what is restraining. That's a neuter. It's, 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 uh, and then we go into personal pronouns. That It's a he. Well, is it a he or an it? Which one is it? And we have a conflict here. Do we translate it directly, exactly as it was? Or do we put in the it to share that? And that's been the struggle. And so, like in my Bible, I have little numbers by the capital he, he in verse 7. And it tells me to go into the, you know, where is verse 7 in there? And it says, or little h, he. Because we're not sure if that's God or not. Um, we know that we have a neuter noun, and it's combined with masculine pronouns personal pronouns. And so the thing that is restraining is not an it, but a he. Well, this isn't the first time this combination has ever been used. In fact, it's been used in a couple of places. Jesus used it to refer to, guess who? Holy Spirit. We have that described for us. And so we have that same combination um, used for us in other places. And so we... we recognize this pattern that here is something that in Greek should be a neuter, should be an it, but we can't refer to it as an it because it isn't an it, it's a he. And this is referring to the Holy Spirit. So we bring that in and we say, well, now it's not what is restraining, as though the church is holding back the world, but who is restraining a person. Not plural pronoun, a singular pronoun. He <coughs> restrains. And the reason that my Bible has inserted a couple of capital letter H's is to indicate that there is strong evidence this is a divine individual. And we know that divine individual to be Holy Spirit. And so, he is the one restraining. Well, what happens to this one 
who is, which really fits his role, right? His role was to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. Whether or not they believe in God isn't relevant. They still know that they are sinners, that God is righteous, and that there is judgment. I know it's getting harder and harder for you to believe that about people in our society, by the way they act, but the fact is they still do have that connection, that what they're doing is sin, and there is a righteous standard, and there is a judgment. Even though we've really muddied the waters, it's still out there. And so it, it falls in line with his role, that he's restraining all of this. He's holding back sin. He's holding back the evil of this age. He's holding it back. And then we find um, that he who's restraining is going to um, be taken out of the way. Verse 7. Mystery laws is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so. So it's a continuing ministry. It's a continuing work until he is taken out of the way. And so there comes a point where the Spirit is going to be taken out at the same time and there will be no restraint over sin. There will be nothing left to hold people back to sin as much as they desire and want. And so some people think, well, this is the law referring to it. But it doesn't fit this model of personal pronouns for neuter nouns. It just doesn't fit. And this pattern is really important that we see that when we are taken out, when we are taken to, to gather, gathered to Christ, that spirit leaves as well. Well, if the spirit of God leaves, who's doing the sealing? Well, we find an angel involved in that work. So if we have the rapture before the 144,000 are sealed, we have just left the period, the time of the Holy Spirit's redemptive work. And the delusion comes. And so the placement in Revelation chapter 6, the placement of the sealing of 144,000 is very, very deliberate, deliberate in chapter 7, I'm sorry. Um, if the church was raptured back in chapter 4, this seems like a strange place for these people to be sealed to go through the balance. Remember, we already have a bunch of martyrs in heaven, apparently, because the fifth seal's already open. Uh, six seals of the seven have been opened, and if that's part of God's judgment on the earth, then these people have already been through those six and, and finally are getting identified. It just doesn't make sense that if they are to be preserved through God's wrath, they should be identified before that wrath begins. And so that means they need, it needs to happen before the rapture. Because the Spirit of God is still available. He's still doing His work. These individuals still have to identify who they are. They have to know who they are. They have to be brought to that knowledge. The sealing on their forehead, um, we, we compared last week to the, to the blood on the doorposts and lentils of Passover. Um, all has to occur prior to the church leaving. These people aren't church-age believers. They are being set aside by God for a particular mission that's going to happen immediately after their sealing. 
It's going to initiate very, very quickly by the time we get to chapter 8. We are already into the trumpet judgments and we find that the sealing has protecting them from God's judgment. So what does that bring us to? It brings us to understand that today is the only day of salvation. That if we put this off and put this off, and then if we capture the idea that somehow we can bring people to Christ on the other side of the rapture, we've done a disservice to them. Because they're going to be lied to. They're going to be deluded by God. They're, 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 they're not, they can't believe the truth, even if they had access to it. They can't. They can't recognize it. Even if they've been raised in a Christian home and have Bibles sitting all over their house, um, it doesn't matter. It's too late. The opportunity is lost. It's gone. The age of the church and of grace is over. And that's why the force of God's commandments on us to evangelize the world is so important, not just because people are dying every day, but because there is an end to the church age and we are quickly approaching it and the opportunity is, is brief. Where not only, what do I want to say? In this age, they cannot want to be saved. But in that age, they can't be saved. And that's a frightening time. And once we get into the breaking open of the seventh seal, and we see all the judgments of God starting to pour out, you will not find anybody spoken of as accepting Christ at all. They're all going to gnash their teeth at him. They're going to hate him. They're going to oppose him. They're going to, they're going to point their fingers at him. They're going to be embittered against him. They're going to curse him. <clears throat> you don't find anybody responding by faith or even by any sorrow to what's going on. They're not sorry at all. They're defiant. Is that all you got, God? Well, it's not all these guys. He's got a lot more. Uh, the only group from this point on that we're going to see coming to Christ is national Israel for the Millennial Kingdom. And we're going to see uh, even that is a situation that, that I struggle with a little bit. We'll talk a lot more about that when we get, it, when we get there. But uh, to say that there's going to be millions and hundreds of millions, billions getting saved after the rapture is a foreign thing to the Bible. And it does horrible damage to our doctrine of salvation and how the Spirit is involved in that. And, um, and so our eschatology has to fit everything else. And one of the exciting things for me in developing this 15 years ago was that it did fit. It makes sense for us not to have the rapture yet. It makes sense that now here we have uh, a people that have to be identified, numbered, before... The church is gathered away. And it fits all the other theology that we have held for centuries. We don't have to bend them. We don't have to manipulate them. We don't have to explain them away. We can simply adhere to them and fit perfectly into this uh, chronology. 
And so we are at a time that men will see the face of the Son of Man and uh, on the cusp of the rapture, um, sandwiched in between the sixth seal and the rapture that we're going to see all the people, all the church arriving in heaven at the resurrection, um, sandwiched in between there is this very important redemptive work of the Spirit of God where he says, seal these people with the name on their forehead. That directive is given and somehow they are able to be identified or identify themselves and, and then the restrainer is taken away. Then he is removed with us to arrive in heaven. And that's where we're going to go next. We'll be arriving in chapter 7 of verse 9 of Revelation. And so all of the judgment of God, all of the woes of God that are going to be poured out on the earth are suspended for just a few minutes. <laughs> Hold your breath. Wait. Don't hurt anything. We have two things that have to be taken care of. Number one, we need to seal these people. And then we need to gather this other body of people that is an innumerable multitude, a great multiple no one can number. we got to get them out of here. And they're going to arrive in heaven. And that's we're going to go from a very scary time of the sixth seal very quickly into a very exciting time that we're going to study for the next couple of weeks of, of how the rapture is going to work and what it's going to lead us to and that process of, us, of our arrival in heaven and what it's going to look like. Uh, and this is a very precious, precious handful of verses that I am not willing to give away um, that this is not my experience. That my experience is just to say, come on up here. I think this is a lot more substantial. We could see that this fits the whole bride model, bride-bridegroom model of uh, Hebrew uh, thought, Jewish thought. And uh, we're going to apply that. Okay, let's have a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you that you are God that can be trusted, that you are God that follows... Um, your principles, that we can rely upon them, that they are dependable. And so we know that uh, your truth will not be broken even by yourself, that you will uh, adhere to them. And Lord, we thank you that for the clarity that your word describes these things. And, and uh, Lord, we know that we have brought confusion to some of that uh, by the workings of men, sometimes very sincere uh, workings, but yet uh, misguided. And so we do pray that you might continue to work in us, that we might see your hand and your word, might trust in you, that we might let the weight of this really uh, fall on us, that today is the day, that this is the age, that there is no second chances on the other side of death or on the other side of the rapture. That when this age closes, in the days to come, so closes the opportunity for men to know you. And so, Lord, give us that urgency of the task that you have given to us. We might share Christ with those around us, knowing your spirit is still active, doing his part. 
Lord, pray that we might be about our responsibilities to obey your word, to share Christ with those around us. In Christ Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.